couple of weeks ago, or you know, uh, on a Friday night, we had uh, uh, our advanced late night, and we watched the movie Courageous, and, and then at the end, we had some conversation and talked about some of the things that, that we saw in ourselves, in our own lives, maybe with our father, or maybe as we fathered our own children, you know, that way we were all kind of covered in, in our situations, and, and, and it really, it began to, I think, draw some things out and encourage, uh, uh, you know, about 40 guys came that night and, and just sat in there and watched that, and then signed what they, what they consider the resolution. And it's back there on the board. You can see it when you leave and has all the signatures of the guys who were there. And, and then we gave everybody one to take home. And I don't, you know, some could frame it, put it on the wall, whatever they wanted to do. But basically it just said, look, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And as, as the head of that house, I'm going to, to resolve today to make a difference, to make a difference in the lives of my children and the people who are around me. And you may not have children today, but you may be a father figure to somebody. Fatherlessness is killing our country. Started years ago with divorce and all the things that happened through that in the 60s and 70s and then through the 80s, and and it's just continued today. You may be here and you may act like a father figure to somebody. I think of Pete. I think of Tim Vanderplatz, who are part of the Big Brother program here in Lafayette. And they spend Wednesday nights with, with 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 a dude, with a little guy. And uh, just, just pour in to that young person. Mike LaMana deals with the effects uh, of fatherlessness on a daily basis as he goes to the Logansport Juvenile Facility and the other juvenile facilities around this state. He's got tons of statistics if you want to find out what's going on. Just about every kid that he, that he goes up there, ministers to, and talks to ha- has, has not had a dad, doesn't know who his dad is. Or get this, at 16, 17, 18 years old, have kid or kids of their own. He has some that have two and multiples, maybe three kids before they ever get out of the Logansport Juvenile Facility at the age of 18. Don't know how to be a dad, don't know what to do. Being a dad's important. We have a great father. He loves us and he takes care of us. And I believe that he'll lead us, he'll guide us, and he'll instruct us in the jobs of being dads to the ones who are part of our home and part of our lineage and even the ones who he might bring across our path not the best paying job in the world (laughs) being a dad you get a lot of responsibility and you don't always have control of what goes on but i'm telling you it's important you got to know that you'll receive your reward may not be today may not be tomorrow but you will receive a reward we're very thankful for all the fathers in this church we have a bunch of guys here who come to church that's not normal we got a bunch of guys who step up to the plate. we got 40 guys who come on a Friday night and give four hours or five hours of their time because they want to be better dads and better men, not just for their home but for their community and for the Lord. So we want to honor you today. If you're a dad, why don't you stand up? We want to, we want to honor you this morning and pray for you. Give them a hand. Now, just stretch your arms out. Just just get up there and put your hand on one of these guys if their kids aren't with them or whatever that might be. And we just want to pray for them today in this place. Father, we thank you for each man represented. We thank you, Father, for your love, your compassion, Father, for your courageous spirit to be on the inside of each one, to be bold, to be a champion for Christ, to be a leader in their home. We thank you for the relationships, Father, with their young people. I thank you, Father, that they may be a little older, but I thank you, Father, there's still a relationship there and there's still a daddy. And I thank you, Father, for wisdom as they lead and as they guide. I thank you for patience, Father, as they deal with decisions, as they deal with circumstances, as they deal with stuff that goes on when you raise kids. I thank you, Father, that they are not powerless. They are powerful. 
I thank you, Father. They're not powerless as the world would say. They're not powerless as TV would make us seem. I thank you, Father, that we are powerful by the Spirit of God and the anointing that resides on the inside of us. I thank you, Father, that the young men and the young women who have wandered astray will come back into the home. I thank you, Father, they will come back into the fold of the family of Jesus Christ, but come back, Father, that you repair and restore the relationships that may have been broken in the past. We thank you, Father, for your anointing today to reside on and in their lives as they go forward from this day. I thank you, Father, for it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And everybody would agree, would say, amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand. It is good news. Good to be a dad. At the end of the service, uh, we're going to hopefully uh, get to a little video thing and give you an opportunity. If you weren't there that day and and you're a dad and you want to, or a man just want to sign that resolution, you can. We've got some of these to give out to you. We also, since, since dads get ties all the time for Christmas, and my daughter gave me this one, or made me buy this one. Actually, she picked it out. I paid for it. I don't know how that was a gift. But uh, it was around Easter, so I thought I'd wear it today. But we've got Thai cookies for you that are all hand, uh, handmade and decorated. April Egan and Al headed it up, and Rachel and Elizabeth decorated cookies. And, and it was hard for me not to eat all these cookies sitting around in my house yesterday. But uh, they'll be at the door for you if you're a dad. You don't want to miss that. I, you know, about five months ago, four or five months ago, I was, I was uh, just listening. I go to church sometimes on Monday or Tuesday, not another church, but I do it at home on my deck or at the gym or wherever I happen to be. Uh, I, I go to church, and I got a whole list of guys that I, I listen to and, and, and services, I guess, I, I attend, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, Jensen Franklin or Stephen Furtick or, or Craig Groeschel or Andy Stanley or, or any of these guys that I, I mean, I follow and I listen to their stuff. So I'm constantly going to church just like you're going to church. I'm telling you, if you don't, if you don't get hooked up in church, there's some issues. There's some problems. That's important for all of us to get together. And, and one of the messages that I heard was, was about God's faithfulness. And, and uh, you know, if you ever listen to those messages, and this is where I know it's God because he, I listened to it like almost five times now. Since then, I've gone back and listened to it almost five times. I haven't erased it off my iPod. I just continue to listen to it. And, 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 and the first few times, I, I, I thought of all the people that needed to hear it. <laughs> Have you ever had those kind of messages? Like you're probably sitting here in church, and I'm preaching this message or whatever, and you're thinking, boy, you know what? So-and-so needs to hear this one. Well, they, that, to me, that usually means, no, dummy, you need to hear it. So uh, I, I, I listened to it four or five times. I just kept going back to it. And then about three times in, I kind of got the message. Oh, okay, I got you. And uh, I just, there's some pieces and parts of it that I wanted to share with you this morning because uh, it really does relate to being a dad. God's faithfulness is important because he's faithful to us. He loves us and he cares for us and he's a great example of a wonderful, loving father. But more than that, even more than that, what I want to show you today or talk to you today about is the fact that you are laying up something for your children. You're laying up something. Good, bad, ugly, whatever, you are laying something up. Chris, it's good to see you. Good to have you with us. How's Florida? I guess it's all right. We were there too, so it's doing okay. You made it back as well. But are you leaving in your wake, are you leaving stumbling blocks for your kids or stepping stones? Sometimes, now I'm not saying this is, I'm just saying sometimes it's a little bit to our advantage to realize when we're making decisions with our words and with our actions We need to be cognizant or aware of the fact that that is really truly laying something in the path of our children as they come after us. That you're laying up something for them. The words that you speak over them are either setting them on the right path or you're heading them toward destruction. The things that you do in your home as an example of Jesus Christ being there. 
is either going to be a stepping stone for your young people to walk in faith or they're going to be stumbling blocks because they don't want to be like dad because he was a hypocrite. You may be here and be a single mom. That's all right. I had a single mom for a lot of my life, and I turned out all right because she was able to be both mom and dad, and she allowed God to be the father in our lives and to help us and lead us and guide us. So it's not just men that this message applies to. It applies to each one of us. But I I will tell you, it's very important. You're leaving an inheritance, so what will that inheritance be? Many times as dads, we're worried about the cash. We're worried about putting money aside. We're worried about building up a future financially for our young people. We've told our young people, look, you ain't getting nothing. Ain't going to be nothing left, baby. We are spending it all. We're going out in a blaze of glory. We're going out giving it, you know. We, we, sow, we sow so much into the kingdom of God that, that we feel like sowing it. We, we just ask God to tell us what to do. We, we sow into the kingdom financially. We do take care of our children, and God has taken care of them because we sow financially into the kingdom. But I'm telling you, the thing that we are trying to leave them with is a legacy of learning the word of God and being able to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're leaving our children with. That's the inheritance that we want them to have. That's the most important thing. Trouble will come to your young people, and your money will not get them out of trouble. See, listen, that's important. I, I, I know some folks. I'm related to some folks whose young person came into some horrible situations. Horrible situations. Drug, addicted, drug addiction, all kinds of criminal activities, some issues and things, and they had tons of cash. And I will tell you today that kid is still in that same place, and they don't have any more money. Money will not save your children. The Word of God will save your children. This isn't a fear message or a fear tactic, but it says in Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. That's usually where we go in that passage. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Since we're righteous, then all those, poor, all those mean people out there, their money should come to us. Well, that's true, but it also says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children. Galatians 6 7 through 8. She's going to put that on the screen for you. You are planting seeds, and seeds sprout harvest. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. You might want to write that down. Every time you're getting ready to spout off something that's crazy, read that. Every time you're about to act out in anger or whatever that might be, read that. Because as you do those things, you're laying up. You can store up grace. You can store up mercy. You can store up love. But you can also store up hate and anger and iniquity. This says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. It goes on and says, for if you sow to the spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. But if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. Now, what about this? We like to think about it in our own lives. And we like to say, you know what? Fine, I'll deal with the consequences of my sin on my own. Many times we don't say that out of our mouth, but in our heart, that's what we're... I'm going to go ahead and do it because I'm not going to hurt anybody but me. Uh Uh-uh, what if your seeds are planted and the harvest is supposed to come forth in your kids? This will be sobering. You'll be kind of quiet today, I'm sure. It's all right, though. You'll leave better. What if the seeds that you're planting today, there's a harvest on that seed, but it's going to happen generationally in your life, and that harvest comes later? Makes you think twice about what you might say or what you might think or what you might do. If you think that, there is a possibility that this seed may sprout somewhere else in my life down line. My grandpa was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. I dealt with it. I told my kid, careful. 
That's all I can tell you. Bad things travel down line. If you look in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness or anything that is in heaven or above, or that is in the earth beneath, that is, that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. God was speaking to the children of Israel. He said, For I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations, to those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Jeremiah thirty-two eighteen in the New Living says that you bring the consequences of one generation into or onto the next. Generational curses, they're real. I think it's Marilyn Hickey wrote the book, Breaking Generational Curses. It's important. We begin to speak that over our kids Begin to break things that we saw in my grandpa, in my dad, and begin to see that in me. Maybe it's anger or issues like that. I begin to see that in my son first. God had been trying to deal with me for a long time in those areas and in those places. And then I began to see him act out the same way. And it sobered me. Touched me right to the core. That you know what? I needed to change. Not to say, you need to be different and not be like your dad. I decided, you know what? How about dad changes? And I say, be different and be like dad. Because dad's different. Because this junk, this stuff, all of this mess, it does travel down line. It just doesn't stop with you. You aren't just living unto yourself. Generational curses destroy people. But they destroy families. One after another. I don't know what it is in your life that you've had to deal with. But begin to break that thing in your life. Ask God to help you. He'll begin to break that thing off your life and then begin to impart that freedom to your children. Don't impart the the captivity that comes with alcoholism or anger or bitterness or resentment or whatever those things are. Break that and release into your children's life freedom. Now, you've got to change. You can't live one way but try to impart something different to your children. I think many times that's what we believe. We believe that if I teach them well enough, but don't live it in my life, then I'm, I'm going to help them out. No, you need to live it in your life and then teach them. Because you're laying up for them opportunity for them to be well. Opportunity for them to escape. Opportunity for them to be free. You're helping them. Hosea 4.6, if you're not teaching your children the word, there's an issue. There's a problem. If you don't have your kids in church, that's a problem. Well, they don't like to come. That doesn't matter. They don't get a choice. They're children. And if you let them do that, you're a bad parent. If you allow them to stay home because they don't want to come to church, you're a bad parent. Now, I said it. That's not good. I'm going to get some flack. But I love you, and I love you too much to allow that to go on. That's just the truth. Listen, if you don't believe me, read. My people, this is the new living. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priests. But Jesus has said, or the word has said, right, in the New Testament, that we are kings and priests. So this isn't just talking to a bunch of people in the Old Testament. It goes on, it says, since you have forgotten the laws of your God, you have forgotten the word, you don't remember my word, I will forget to do what? Bless your children. Get them to church. Kick and scream and whatever, we can deal with that. I taught school for 13 years. Nothing stops me. I'll get them right here. 
No, it's important. I mean, it's a little sobering. Maybe you're a grandparent. Hey, bring them to church. Bring them to vacation Bible school. Bring them to youth on Wednesday nights. It's important. Many of you are here because somebody brought you to church. And I bet you way back then you didn't want to go either. But we live in a different area, an era, and you didn't get a choice. Until I got old enough to lie and send my brother in to get a bulletin and come back out and put that in the dash of my car when mom pulled up in the driveway. (laughs) That that happened. (laughs) We went to church. We went to church all the time. We went to early morning prayer at God knows what time in the morning. Sat in the breezeway. Bring them to church. If not, see... If you forget the word, if you don't, if you don't pour, now it says right. I mean, it says right there, "Hey, forget to bless your children." And what do we want more than anything for our children to be blessed? In Psalms one hundred three, verses eleven through eighteen, let me tell you, you can ruin your kids for Jesus. I think some of us think we made it this far because we outsmarted the devil. Nope, you made it this far because probably somebody was praying very diligently for you. Somebody was pouring in goodness and laying up mercy and laying up grace and spending nights on their knees, crying tears for your salvation. That's probably why you made it here. See, I think now we've made it and we've escaped the sin. We've escaped the consequences of the sin in our life and we're seeing better things. And so we kind of start thinking, you know what? If if we'd just be smarter, we'd be all right. Uh Uh-uh. It ain't about being smarter. It's not about working harder. It's not about trying more. It's about spending time in the Word and living your life according to the Word as a man or a woman of God and leading your home and leading your children in the way that they should go and teaching them those things. It's important. You can pass on goodness. You can pass on grace. You can pass on mercy to your children. I remember Pastor Bill praying that David and Darren and would not be able to drink alcohol, or if they drank alcohol, they'd get sick. I can't remember what it was. It was something along that. Was that mom or Bill? I don't remember. It was Bill. And one day, years later, you know, Darren was saying, yeah, I didn't drink much in high school. I didn't do that, you know, and the other brother was, was doing that. But this one wasn't. And uh, he said, well, why, you know, Pastor, why not? He said, every time I do, I get sick. <laughs> I didn't want to get sick, so I didn't. That means you can you ruin your kids for Jesus. Pray for them. Because there's something about it. I'm telling you, they prayed for me all the time. And even in the midst of my junk and even in the midst of my sin, I, 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 mean, I, was, I mean, I was convicted and, and just, I, it, was, it was horrible all the time. But I still tried to destroy myself. It just didn't work. Pray for them. Lift them up. It's important for you to do that. It says in Psalms 103 as you go. In verse 14 it says, For he knows how weak we are and he remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and we die. The wind blows and we're gone as though he, we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. Now get this. Fearing the Lord means you honor, you respect, you have reverence for him, that you follow his word beyond what you think, beyond what you care to do, beyond what, what you think is the right situation. You're going to follow his word because, Father, I love you and I trust you and I have a reverential fear of you. And if you do that, it says, the Lord remains forever with that person, but also his salvation extends to the what? Children's children. You're not just doing it for yourself good or bad, you're doing it for them. 
Luke one fifty says his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. There's something about living right for God. Your kids don't always do the right thing, but I am telling you, eventually that word will spring forth in their life. It has to. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul was talking to Timothy and he said, I knew this faith, it dwelled in your grandma and it dwelled in your mother and now I know it dwells where? In you. Came down line. And you may be saying, well, I, I didn't live so good. Well, live differently. It says his gifts and calls are without repentance and it doesn't say that he's lost those or you've lost those. It says get yourself straight, act differently today then you begin to store up the good stuff. Are you going to store up the good stuff or the rough stuff? Genesis 12, 3, God was speaking to Abraham and he told him, you're going to be a blessing to generations. 12, 3, you want to put that up there? He says, in the end, all the families, all the families in the world will be blessed because of you, because of what you did in this earth, he told him. I'll bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you look in verse 20, or chapter 26, verse 24, she'll put that up there too. This was God speaking now to Isaac as it began to come down line. And it said, And the Lord appeared to him in the same night, and he said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Not because of Isaac, not because of the things he had done or the people. He said, I'm going to bless you for my, my, my servant Abraham's sake. Now look, you get in on this. Pastor Pam started to mention it in the message that she had at the offering. But if you look now in Galatians chapter 3, 13 and 14, it says that Jesus became a curse. She'll put it up here. But Jesus became, he Christ redeemed us for the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on the tree. But it goes on and it says this. See, you get blessed out of this, not because you're just somebody, but because you've been part of the family and the blessing's been passed from Abraham down to generation to generation to generation to you. Because now when you receive Christ into your life, you're adopted into his what? His family and you're his child. And then you have an opportunity for that inheritance to come into your life And Abraham stored up enough blessing in this earth by being obedient to the word of God that that blessing continues to go down line no matter how screwed up you were when you came to Christ. He set you clean white as snow, brought you into that house and poured out that blessing in your life. That's what it says. And the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, will it continue on past you to your children? Now, there's hope for them if you screw up. There's hope for them if you're a mess. There's hope for them if you walk out of here and never follow the word of God the rest of the days of your life. There's hope for them. Why? Because they can come to Christ. They can be part of that. But I'm telling you, the generational curses, the things that you have left, those things are real. And they'll have to deal with stuff. They'll, don't, don't set your kids up to stumble. Don't set your kids up to fall. Give them stepping stones in faith toward the glory and the grace and the mercy of God by living right. I'm a little hot. We want somebody in Washington to fix this country. Fix it in your own house. Please, people, come on. Sorry. God's faithful if you'll put him first in your life. Psalms 89, verse 1 and 2. We'll go through these scriptures pretty quickly. I didn't come up with all this. I just stole most of it. 
but it still preaches good, doesn't it? It says, I'll sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth. I'll make your faithfulness known to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your God, your faithfulness shall be established in the very heavens. God loved David. He jacked up, screwed up, made some mistakes, but God loved David. David worshipped God. He worshipped him not just in in public areas like the church, not just in public areas like the street. He worshipped him in private areas too, like the cave. It's important that as a believer, as a man of God, you worship God, not just publicly, but you worship God privately as well. Your kids know that. They know the difference between you at church and you at home. And they rarely forget. Sometimes they forget the good things you did. They rarely forget the bad things. But look what God promised him in Psalms 89, verse 30. He said, if, if his sons, he was speaking, God was speaking and said this about David. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod, thank goodness, and their iniquity with stripes. I will take care of them. I will discipline them and I will punish them. But nevertheless, he says in verse 33, my loving kindness, I will not utterly take from him, nor all allow my faithfulness to fail. And he promised David that his sons and his generations would reign. That it, wouldn't, that it would not end. And he promised his faithfulness and he promised his mercy and he promised his grace to David. And he said, David, you go out and be the man of God that I called you to be. David put that to practice in his life. And then God promised him and said, even if your sons screw up, I will discipline them. I will bring the rod of correction. I will spank the booty of, but I will not take away my faithfulness from them because of you and your goodness. What you do well serving the Lord goes down line. Even if they utterly messed up and disregarded the word, God would still be faithful. Second Chronicles 6.42. Solomon dedicating the temple. David had been dead 11 years. Okay, he's been dead 11 years. He's gone. But he set up. See, he set up a spiritual inheritance for his children, and he also set up a financial inheritance because these guys had all of this stuff to build the temple. David was doing all he could. We know we focus on some of the bad things that he did, but man, he served God, he loved God, he worshiped God, and he took care of his kid because he built stuff and laid stuff up. And so the day of the dedication... They're there, and Solomon is leading the dedication. And there's all of this stuff, 20,000 bulls being slaughtered, 120,000 sheep being slaughtered, Crazy people do crazy things to bring the crazy anointing of God. It's outlandish. Having the 99 come here with just a few churches and trying to do what we're going to do is a little outlandish and a little much. But you know what? Guess what happened in this story? See, outlandish, over and above, sacrifice brought the fire and the anointing of God like they've never seen before because the priest couldn't even go in. Sometimes you got to do things that don't make sense to who you are. Sometimes you have to sacrifice in ways you didn't think you are going to have to. But get this. David had been dead 11 years. In verse 42, Solomon begins to pray. It's at the end of the prayer as he goes through. He starts in the beginning of 6, and it goes down to about 42. And then he, he says, Remember the mercies of my father, David. 
He asked God, remember the mercy, not for me, not for the people around here, but could you remember the mercies of my father David? And then it says, the heavens opened up and fire came down, consumed the sacrifice and the glory and the presence of God came into that place like never before. God remembered David. He remembers his promise to him in Psalm 89 and his faithfulness and he pours it out in that place. Been dead 11 years. 1 Kings chapter 11. David been dead 23 years. Now get this, that Solomon was in a good place at the dedication of the temple. But by this time in 1 Kings, he'd already started intermarrying with other wives, started worshiping other gods. He was falling apart spiritually. He was breaking down as a leader. He was breaking down as a man of God. Things were spinning and coming apart in his life. He had a thousand wives, good Lord, help us all. Are you I mean, for real? The guy who I heard say this said, said he had a thousand because he wanted to find one that would agree with him. I don't know. But 700 wives and 300 concubines is a thousand women in your household. That's, that's more than I, I'm good. I got two, and that's, I, that's plenty. Solomon had gone nuts, buck wild, doing all kinds of things. But it says in verse, I said two, right? Yeah. Oh, not two wives. No. Good night. No, just you, beautiful. That's all. Just, I, 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 that other family you don't know about, it's okay. I got to hurry up out of here because I got to go preach at that church. And just, so, just kidding. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord. And God had appeared to him, it says in verse 9, twice. And it says, and he and commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after the other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. But God promised David, remember, when your kids go buck wild, don't worry, I'm still going to be faithful. I'm going I'm to discipline him, and he does discipline him, because he says, I'm going to strip the kingdom from you. But I, but I, see, listen. It says, because you have done this in verse 11 and have not kept my commandment and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servants. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of what? Your father, David. I will not take it away for you for the sake of your father, David, because I promised him I would be faithful and my word said that I would leave it in his lineage and I'm going to have to be faithful even though you're a loser. But I'm going I'm to strip it from you. And you're going to end up with one and not all. David had been done 20, dead 23 years. 1 Kings 15. Solomon's grandson is continuing to mess things up. David's dead 57 years now. This is Solomon's grandson. So we're like from, from, from all the way now from David down through Solomon down to Solomon's grandson. Okay, we're a few generations out off the tree. David's dead 57 years. And it said this young man walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal, loyal sorry, to the God, his Lord, the Lord, his God, and as, as the heart it was for his father David. Nevertheless, it says in verse 4, for David's sake, the Lord, his God, gave him a lamp in Jerusalem. He continued to give it out, even, but it's for David's sake. God does not forget your service to him. He does not forget your sacrifice. You've come early to worship. You've come early to 
You're here every time the doors are open. From the time they open to the time they close, you're here. God does not forget your service. He does not forget your worship. It's not for nothing. You are building an inheritance for those little kids that live in your household. And you're doing it the right way by following God, by reading His Word, by bringing them to church, teaching Him His statutes and His laws, just like it says in the Word. God does not forget. I am here, I'm telling you, because God does not forget His Word. He told Pastor Bill, and I'll try to do this without crying. He told Pastor Bill years ago, if you do what I ask you to do, I will take care of your kids. And he did. That word's not stopped. There's two of us here today, but there's others running around doing things, and they're, they're, they're saved, and some of them are a little wilder than others, but God, God's word doesn't return void. And as I began to go through this, I mean, it began to hit me. See, I, I thought I had escaped because God was good to me. I thought I had escaped because I, I, I beat the odds against sin. But what God began to show me was you didn't just escape because you repented and the consequences of your sin didn't catch up to you. You escaped because I promised him. Because I promised him you escaped. I couldn't figure out how all those years I never ended up in jail. How I never ended up wrecked up a tree, dead. How I, ended up, I tried to destroy myself. I tried. God had a plan for my life and he had a purpose. And I was doing everything I could to ruin it. But God promised him, I'll take care of your kids. So far he has. Second Kings 19, the last one. David's been dead 305 years. Hezekiah is surrounded by the armies. And he, he, he gets this letter that says God's going to come through and reminds him of God's promise. And he runs to the temple and he lays it on the altar. And he says, God, man, you got to show up, man. you got to show up. This guy's starting to do things a little bit right now. And he's, he's like, I'm surrounded. I don't know what's going to happen. 305 years, David had been dead. He said, I'm going to take care of your children, your children's children, down the generational line. And he says, after 305 years, verse 34, God says, For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. You're planting seeds. You're laying up something for your children. Let it be righteousness. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and slayed 185,000 men for them. For his servant David's sake. Now, this is a normal, this is a study that's known by a lot of people, and you may have heard it before, and it's a study of this guy Max Jukes and Jonathan Edwards. And uh, Bill Federer wrote about it in the American Minute. One day, what they did was they took a couple guys back. This, were, this was just 30, 40 years ago at Yale, but they, they went back to the 1700s somewhere and found these two guys that lived in the same area. They didn't, like, pick two guys. They just picked two guys that were in the same area that had all these descendants, and they went back and they studied the trees. Max Jukes was a liar, a thief, a drunk. He married a woman just the same. Didn't believe in laws. 
wanted to abolish all that stuff. Lived in, lived in just free choice, man. Just do your thing. He had like 13 kids. He had 1,026 descendants. And of those 1,026, they produced 150 criminals, 17 murderers, 60 prostitutes, 100 drunks, 310 paupers, and 300 who died at a very early age. That's quite a lineage. That's quite a legacy to leave. But then the other, in the other side of that study was Jonathan Edwards. Loved God. Loved his word. Ministered. Followed the statutes and the laws, not just of his God, but of his land. Lived a godly life. Had 13 kids. Had 929, 929 descendants. And they produced 300 preachers. 60 authors, although another study said 75. 65 professors, 30 judges, 295 college graduates, three U.S. senators, three governors, and one vice president, Aaron Burr, came from him. Now you tell me, what do you want to be? What do you want your kids to be, your grandkids to be? What do you want your great-grandkids to be? Max Jukes or Jonathan Edwards? There's a reason. There's a reason those kids. Kids turned out. One stored up iniquity, one stored up righteousness. In your life, what will you store up? All of us, but especially you men, what will you store up for your children and your children's children and your children's children's children? It's time to get your eyes on eternity. Stop making decisions because of money. We said it earlier, trouble's going to find your kids and your money ain't going to save them. But the word will. Give them something they can hold on to. Give them something they can count on. I'm telling you what, they can spend all their money. I don't care. They already gave me faith. They already taught me the word. And he taught me how to be led by the Holy Spirit, which is the most precious gift I've ever been given. I, I will not fail. Because they sacrificed. He laid his life down. I didn't always like it at the time. But I'm very thankful now. I just want to play this clip real quick. Then we're just going to pray. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of stuff. I now believe that God desires for every father to courageously step up and do whatever it takes to be involved in the lives of his children. But more than just being there, providing for them, he's to walk with them through their young lives and be a visual representation of the character of God, their father in heaven. The father should love his children and seek to win their hearts. He should protect them, discipline them, and teach them about God. He should model how to walk with integrity and treat others with respect. And should call out his children to become responsible men and women who live their lives for what matters in eternity. Some men will hear this and mock it or ignore it. But I tell you that as a father, you are accountable to God for the position of influence he has given you. You can't fall asleep at the wheel 
only to wake up one day and realize that your job or your hobbies have no eternal value, but the souls of your children do. Some men will hear this and agree with it, but have no resolve to live it out. Instead, they will live for themselves and waste the opportunity to leave a godly legacy for the next generation. But there are some men who regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, regardless of what our fathers did not do for us, will give the strength of our arms and the rest of our days to loving God with all that we are and to teach our children to do the same. And whenever possible, to love and mentor others who have no father in their lives, but who desperately need help and direction. And we are inviting any man whose heart is willing and courageous to join us in this resolution. In my home, the decision has already been made. You don't have to ask who will guide my family, because by God's grace, I will. You don't have to ask who will teach my son to follow Christ, because I will. Who will accept the responsibility of providing and protecting my family? I will. Who will ask God to break the chain of destructive patterns in my family's history? I will. Who will pray for and bless my children to boldly pursue whatever God calls them to do? I am their father. I will. I accept this responsibility and it is my privilege to embrace it. I want the favor of God and his blessing on my home. Any good man does. So where are you men of courage? Where are you fathers who fear the Lord? It's time to rise up and answer the call that God has given to you. And to say, I will. I will. I will. We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org. Or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you have drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I receive the forgiveness for all my sins. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come into my life and empower me to live a victorious life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.